Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Newtown and Erskineville Anglican Church, and it's great to be with you today. Uh, keep 1 Thessalonians open. It's my privilege to lead us through this last chapter and finish this series. And we've been calling this series Stories of Faith uh, because uh, we wanted to encourage you. In this season of crazy, I've not met many people who have been able to just cruise through this season, and uh, we've wanted to encourage you as we kind of remind you of the story of Jesus the simplicity and the steadiness of that grand and good story, and also help you process your own stories in the midst of that bigger story. See, Paul had planted the church in Thessalonica and wasn't able to be with them for a season. And then hears from Timothy about their stories of faith, and he's so richly encouraged. And I want you to be encouraged also. Friends, we have a, a grand story, the grandest story of all. 
The story of Jesus, the story of creation, the story of fall, the story of redemption, the story of glory, and how Jesus brings all of that together and how our story is woven through that. The gospel story has a sure ending. And that's the focus of this chapter and the end of last one as well. This, that is that this gospel story does not finish with a fairy tale ending, but a sure ending of Jesus' return. We could summarize the last chapter, uh, which Phil helpfully brought to us last week, as that the Lord himself shall return. He shall be, we shall be raised with him and be with him evermore. That is an amazing story. Sometimes you feel like it's too good to be true, therefore it must be a fairy tale. But the reason we are confident in that ending is because we've already seen the beginning of that ending. We've seen the end folded back into history, and that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And what Paul wants to tell us today is that the end of the story profoundly impacts the present. And I think this is beautifully captured in verse 8. And verse 8 is beautifully captured in a painting uh, that was done a few years back on one of the alleyways of Enmore. Check this out by Mr. G. How good is this? This is a picture of a helmet with hope written across it. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 written at the top there. And that verse says this, Since we belong to the day... Let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. (laughs) The hope of salvation as a helmet. Love it, put it on. This is such a striking visual that I want us to go with it all the way through the sermon. Now, what comes to mind for you as you look at this artwork? It's such a striking picture For me, uh, it's an impressive helmet. I mean, it's not just kind of a trucker's cap. It's not like just a floppy sort of, you know, hat you wear to the beach. it's It's an impressive helmet, one that you'd be proud to put on. It's a symbol of belonging, of strength, of honor. I see some of those themes in Paul's descriptions of us as, say, verse 5, children of the light. Or, or, and children of the day, the sense of belonging to something uh, uh, important, powerful. Verse 8, we belong to the day. Put this helmet on because you are part of something. You have been honored. You've been brought into something. What, what is that? And what is the day that, that uh, Paul's talking about there? Well, for some of you, you might have seen this picture and thought, that is an item of war. And that's kind of the day. That's what the day is about. But there's not a lot of talk of war in this. There's no attack. If anything, there's a lot of defensive language. And that's because the war has already happened and already been won. See, we can put on the helmet of salvation because the day of the Lord has come in Christ and will come when he returns more fully. What is the day of the Lord, you ask? Well, we're told that it will come like a thief in the night and that while people are crying out peace and safety, that is kind of the the Roman equivalent of, of sort of the modern political, you know, jobs and growth kind of language. While people are sort of talking about these things, destruction will happen. Something very different, something very unexpected. But for those that trust in Jesus and know that he will return, 
we are expecting him to come back because we're children of light, not children of darkness. We are not, uh, we are not sleepy. We are not drunk. We are sober and aware that he will come back. But the thing that's interesting about this language of the day of the Lord is that it was, it's a very famous phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament and particularly found in the prophets. So the day of the Lord in the prophets is a day of judgment, of righteous anger, where God will upturn all that is wrong in the world. Now in Amos particularly, the day of the Lord is described as a day of darkness. And that's interesting because it's flipped here because the emphasis is on light, not darkness. What's changed? Well, the helmet of sure hope of salvation is now available. The breastplate of faith and love is available to be put on. And this defensive armor is part of putting on Christ himself. The difference is Jesus between the prophets and now the difference is Jesus who has taken on the wrath of God's judgment so that all who have faith in him do not need to fear the day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord has been turned into a day of light, righteous light because of Jesus' death for your sins. And when I think about being protected, putting this armor on, it's the same kind of idea of the Passover lamb. Uh, back to the Exodus, where, where the angel of death passed over God's people who had the blood of the lamb uh, over the door. Uh, that, that was, of course, pointing towards people who would be washed by the blood of Christ, being saved from their sins and the wrath of God. If you put on this helmet, this breastplate, you are protected. You have found refuge. The day of the Lord is now a day to rejoice in. And this is the greatest joy for Christians being rooted in the fact that if you have faith in Jesus, his death is for you and his life lived now is for you and we will be with him forevermore. And kind of when you think about the idea of, of no fear, no condemnation, of living in, in the light of the fact that we are now children of light, there is so much to celebrate. And if you imagine kind of, you know, being asked to wear this kind of military armor, uh, but not to go to war because the war's already won, you're instead going to this ticker tape parade and, you know, you haven't even kind of had to fight because the war has been won. And so you're celebrating all that's been won for you and all that you're part of. You still get to put on that armor. But if we were to extend sort of this metaphor a little bit of kind of celebration in the ticker tape parade, it'd be as though the whole world isn't celebrating with you. And John's gospel puts it like this. He says, the true light uh, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is John chapter one. And though the world was made through him, Jesus, the world did not recognize him. And herein lies the power of the entire gospel story. The war is won. We are children of the day. But the fall and the brokenness and the messiness and the rebelliousness of sin is still in play. It doesn't have power over anyone who is wearing the armor. And yet... The story is complex. There's a simplicity to being saved in Christ and yet things are still messy until that final day. 
when Jesus will make everything right. But we're told not to be surprised that Jesus will return. And so as you keep this image in your mind of this, of this helmet, putting on this helmet of the hope of salvation, I don't want you to be surprised by the chaos, by the brokenness, and ultimately by Jesus' return. You know, for the first time ever, I want to stop looking at Facebook. It's hard not to because I'm addicted to it. But my Facebook feed is just full of really sad stuff, uh, stuff that's really messed up. And I've been on Facebook for a long time. You know, when I started, there was a graffiti wall. You could, you could come onto my page and graffiti something. You could, you could feed the fish in my fish tank. Your f- Facebook was weird when it started, and I was part of it. Uh, now, if you're young or older than me, you've probably got no idea what I'm talking about. Don't worry about that. In the end, what I'm saying is that as I look through my Facebook, it's telling me a story, two stories, I think. Firstly, be calm, here's a meme. And secondly, the story of fear. Fear sickness, fear death, fear the oppressor and fight for justice. And and while there are good things in each one of these stories, it's just not a good enough story. Be calm, yes, because Jesus has won. Fear, no, no fear of condemnation, nor death, nor sickness, nor anything that can separate us from the love of Christ. Fear the oppressor, well, in a way, We should long for justice, stand up for the downtrodden, and yet we recognize that the roots of sin run deep, and the best justice comes from an activism that's driven by the war already won, not an activism driven by anger and fear. Now, in each one of those kind of bits that I've taken out of the Facebook stories, I've placed it in the context of the larger gospel story. And that's what I want this helmet to be for you. This kind of this visual that's burned into the back of your mind that you're going to take with you into the rest of today, tomorrow, the week to come, the month to come. Because when, when you think of this helmet and putting it on, I want you to think of the bigger story that it's part of. That Jesus has won the victory and that you're told to be an active participant given that he's already won the victory. Our challenge And joy lies in connecting the grand story of the gospel into the moments we find ourselves. And it's at this point that we pivot a little bit. Because Paul's moving from teaching on the day of the Lord uh, into a whole bunch of things that he gives as final instructions. From verse 12 onwards, you know, if you were just starting to read from verse 12, it would sort of maybe sound like a few tidbits on kind of like how to live, doing nice things when you're with nice people. <laughs> but that's, that's not the gospel story. It's much richer than that. And every imperative of scripture is rooted in the indicative, in who you are in Christ. You know, going back to uh, God's will for you is to be sanctified, be holy because you are holy. And so I'm just going to pick up on a few of these verses uh, because there's actually too many little imperatives here. And maybe it would be a good thing in your small groups uh, or by yourself to kind of just to go through these and then place each command here, each imperative into a larger story so that it might be filled with more meaning for you. But as I pick up on a few of these, let's kind of pick up on verse, you know, verse 12, for instance, where Paul says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and to admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Now, I'm not choosing that because I want you to honor me or the ministry team. I actually find it interesting that Paul is particularly asking uh, us to, uh, to honor 
not just people in positional power or kind of well, whatever they're doing by, by title, but because they're working hard for you and caring for you in the Lord. I'm thinking of small group leaders. I'm thinking of people who don't even have titles, but are working hard uh, because of their love for you in the Lord. People who want to see you take up that kind of, that, that bigger story. And, and I love most of all when, when this happens in, in discipleship, in friendship, outside of kind of program. I think we need to keep being reminded to be thankful for those who are working in our lives to see us grow in the Lord, who even have the courage to admonish us because of their love for us, to take us away from the alternative stories we find ourselves in and back into the the grander, better, more glorious gospel story. Now, thankfulness sometimes doesn't flow naturally out of our hearts. I remember being a teenager and I went on a camp and and, uh, at this camp they they were talking about gratitude and thankfulness and they said, when you go home, I want you to be thankful for the love of your parents and, uh, and for all they're doing for you. And I was like, oh, when was the last time I thanked my parents for what they do for me? You know, I'm a teenage guy. I've got it all under control myself and I need them kind of thing. So I went home and, and uh, mum and dad said, how was the camp? I said, mum, I want you to tell you something. I love you and thank you for the, all, the, all that you do for me. <laughs> there, were, there were tears both sides and mum and dad were kind of like, what kind of camp was this? Let us be a people who uh, overflow with thankfulness. Uh, thankfulness to God for all that he's done for us. Thankfulness to those around us who, who are working in our lives that we might grow in the Lord, even occasionally admonishing us that we might know Jesus more and be part of the bigger story put on the helmet. Or maybe verse 14, to pick another one, to encourage the disheartened. Uh, how do we do that? And when we come across people, and maybe we're one of those who, who have lost heart, you know, the circumstances around us are weighing in against us. You know, it'd be a great encouragement to, to go back to one of the many stories through Scripture. God's people in the Old Testament, uh, Jesus' disciples, uh, the early church perhaps, where they had good reason to be disheartened. And, and remind them, uh, as, as you kind of share this story with those who are disheartened, of, of what God did in those circumstances and how He grew people through it. Because there's so many little stories through Scripture that are all part of the big story of how God so often works His His most glorious ways in the hardest times. And we have reason to hope because of the day of the Lord. What about verse 15? Maybe you're feeling uh, like you want to pay back wrong for wrong. It says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Now, when someone's wronged us, there is a real raw sense that kind of something really bad has happened and, and it kind of evokes this righteous anger. And how are we to encourage each other in that? Like just turn the other cheek and, and, and forget like that ever happens? No. But we're at least to go back to Jesus, his death for us, that he didn't repay us proportionally by what we did. Instead, he took all our wrongs, all our sins, nailed them to the cross so that we might be children of light and not of darkness so that we might not fear condemnation, but find forgiveness and grace. And, and we might then be able to practice grace, not vengeance. 
We might be able to name the wrong and forgive the person, not just ignore it or forget it ever happened, but to practice real forgiveness instead of paying back wrong for wrong. The problem with vengeance and the problem with anger, which we're seeing a lot more and more in these days, it loses control of the good it fights for. So much anger is driven by something that's really wrong. And yet the response is not to wrong back, but to fight for the good. But the problem when we are angry is that we lose our ability to fight for the good. We lose control. We need to be able to process our anger in a larger story. And there is no richer story to do that in God's justice and mercy. So friends, if if you're struggling with wanting to pay back wrong for wrong, then invite some others into that moment, into that raw moment, that you might better process that in the bigger story here. And there's a real joy in doing this stuff together. In actually sharing what's happening in your story, in your life, and trying to kind of put it into the bigger picture, you know, putting the helmet of salvation on again, you know. And my favorite verse from this whole letter is 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, which is about doing this together. Paul says, as as he thinks of the Thessalonians, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And when I read that verse, it makes me long for Sunday gatherings more and more and makes me really thankful for the smaller gathering of small groups. I meet with a bunch of men from Urco very early Friday mornings at 6.30 and that has become a real treasure for me because I, I miss doing this in a broader sense. You know, those vulnerable moments where you share lives with each other. And, and I notice that when, when we do that, two things happen. One, it reveals the alternate stories that I'm living in and it opens me up to, to being admonished, to being encouraged, to find the bigger and better story of Jesus instead. And secondly, it invites us to celebrate how God is weaving his plans through our story. So when we're praying for something that we're anxious about, we come back next week and find that God's been at work in our lives. We are putting on the helmet of the hope of salvation together all the time. And we're able to rejoice in the way that God is at work in our lives. And that's kind of what Paul is calling us to do regularly. Verse 16 and 17 and 18, actually. Read with me. Rejoice always. Great little verse there. Two words. Pray continually. Another two words. Uh, Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Friends, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. I'm not talking about some Zen Christian that's kind of like always got this happy Zen face, rejoicing always, praying, always praying, uh, like never not praying. Uh, That kind of picture of a Christian often shames me. I feel like I should be more like that Zen Christian. No, no, no. Just get back to simplicity here. Uh, Just grab every opportunity to give thanks to God. To, to pray in whatever is happening in, in, the, in the moment of your story, that you might find yourself in the bigger story. Friends, maybe some of you are wrestling with new emotions in this season. So into the larger story of Jesus, rejoice that the ending is victorious, that the day of the Lord is certain. Pray in the strength you need to the one who will give it to you who says, my uh, yoke is light. Let me take your burdens and give thanks over all that he's doing in your life as you wrestle with those emotions. Are you feeling uplifted? Well, give thanks, rejoice, make it about Jesus' glory. Are you facing some hard decisions? 
Well, pray regularly about it. Use the stress of that to drive you into a deeper dependence on God. You know, so often in kind of my daily rhythm, I've been noticing, I will kind of set up my day by sort of praying a blessing over all things that I want to do in God's name, you know, doing God's good work. And yet I've been reminded of the power of, of sort of doing this regularly, that not just kind of the beginning of the day and sort of putting an amen over everything, but actually stopping and taking moments to discern, to listen to God, to pray in thanks, and that my day is more set up in his rhythm and not just mine. Are you wrestling with sin? Well, remind yourself that you are not a child of darkness, but of light. And so wake up and put on the helmet of hope of salvation and rejoice again, knowing that you are forgiven and you've been given new life in Jesus. And trace down why you sometimes prefer to live in darkness and not in light. And that you might take up again the bigger story of glory of Jesus. You know, I love that this church is full of stories of faith. And when you put them all together, they tell one story of God and his love for us and his work in us. And I'm going to finish uh, this passage, this series, uh, with those final verses that I finished with a couple of weeks ago. Because this is the one story that God is weaving through all of our stories. Verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God is in this. He is in your story. He is faithful and he will bring you to completion until we see Jesus face to face in that ultimate day of the Lord. So every day, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Rejoice, give thanks, pray. What a privilege. Let me pray now. Father, above all the chaos uh, in this world, in our lives, let us rejoice in being able to put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. That your story, the story of Jesus Christ, transcends every story of hopelessness, of despair, of sin, of suffering. There is so much of that, and we long for you to tend to that. To, to flood this broken world with your mercy and your love, and you have done so in Jesus Christ. And so we long for people to recognize him and to find new life in him. And Father, in our own lives, Father, just fill us with your spirit strengthen us and every day would we put on this this helmet of the hope of salvation and be renewed in the fact that our story our day is part of your big story there is so much to give thanks for here father and you are intimately aware of every story of every person listening to this right now and father i want you to uh, make your peace and your presence known to each person listening right now and give them a sense of joy of what you are doing and will do because you are faithful and you will bring us to completion until we see you face to face in the day of the Lord. Amen. Thank you.